0: Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. Glad to be back in D.C. I had a great time in Nigeria this past week, but despite me being back in the U.S., our interview today takes us to Cape Town, South Africa, as I am joined by Justin Stanford, the co-founding general partner for 40i Capital. Justin was an early pioneer in Cape Town's startup ecosystem, having made his way to Cape Town after dropping out of high school to pursue his dream of being an internet entrepreneur. Since then, he's built numerous successful startups, was a co founder of the Silicon Cape Initiative in 2009, and is now one of the highest regarded early stage VCs in the ecosystem. On this episode, we dive into his story, the story of the Cape Town startup ecosystem, and the interesting topic of valuation discrepancies across the African continent. This was a fantastic interview filled with an abundance of wisdom on investing in African tech. And so that is enough from me. I'll present to you my interview with Justin Sanford, the co-founding general partner at 40i Capital. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. So, Justin, I would love for you to take us back to when you dropped out of high school. Uh, you came to Cape Town. You wanted to start a company. And tell us a little bit about what that was like and uh, what your first foray into into company building was like for you.
1: Yeah, well, it was, was kind of scary, I guess you could say, because, uh, yeah, I, I did drop out of high school quite close to the end, actually. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really know the city at all. So I came from a farm. So I came to the city on my own, and I only knew one person there, and I had very little. But that one person that I knew, he knew somebody else who had a a garage that I could use, and that's where I started out in in a garage in the suburbs in Cape Town. It was really hot in summer and really cold in winter. I guess a little bit of a of a cliche these days, but I literally did start in the garage, and uh, initially I was uh, a complete sort of failure I guess Um, my first couple ideas just didn't lead to anything and uh, I was I was really super alone because you know this was at the turn of the century and there wasn't really such a thing as a startup ecosystem at all uh, in South Africa and in fact there was no culture of young people starting businesses in general just wasn't really a done thing so uh, the whole thing was basically considered pretty crazy but I wanted to do it anyways Obviously, around about that time was the big uh, run-up in the sort of dot-com boom and bust. So that was uh, pretty inspiring just in terms of reading about young people starting companies and and doing super well. So I wanted to do something like that. But yeah, it took me about three years to actually find something that worked. So I went through a couple of different startup ideas and uh, and struggled away and basically kind of had to partially live off the kindness of, kindness of others on the way. And then, uh, yeah, fortunately I, I eventually learned a lot of tough lessons on, on that route and, uh, eventually found something that took off.
0: So I'd be, I'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts on how you would advise, uh, someone who, who's, you know, 18, 19, 20 now, because I mean, I I've had somewhat of a similar story and that, you know, quit the corporate job right away. Wasn't for me dove right into entrepreneurship and spent a lot of time, uh, like you said, just trying to figure out nothing's working. Uh, And so if a young person was going to ask you, you know, long term, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to build a company, uh, how would you advise me? Would you say to them, you know, spend the next three, four years, take the pain and, and figure it out? Or would you say, you know, go work for someone else, go work for a company, spend time honing your skills. And then once you feel like you see a good market opportunity, then take the leap.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it's it's quite a tough one because everybody's circumstances are a little bit different, I guess. Um, right. I think principally though, being young is a super big advantage because you basically the younger you are, the less you have to lose. You um, know, I was like eighteen and I had nothing, so I could just try anything. I had nothing to lose. Um, yeah, I didn't have a fallback either, but I didn't have obligations—a family, kids, a mortgage, school fees—all the kind of stuff that builds up on you when you when you have had a job for a while and, and you end up with all these obligations. Um, so when you're young and you don't have that, try and avoid gaining those obligations in the first place. I would say, if you want to be an entrepreneur, because those are the shackles that that'll hold you down. Um, so so to start off with, that that's a big advantage over somebody that's that's older. In terms of you know whether to dive right in or whether to try and gain some experience first, I guess it depends on whether you feel very strongly that you have an idea that you're really passionate about already, or if you're still kind of feeling it out. I think for most people, spending a bit of time working in a startup would be a really great experience because in a small company, you get to basically get exposed to all aspects of different jobs instead of being pigeonholed in, in one position like in a corporation. So, in a small team in a startup, you really get to see how things work. You get to try your hand at a lot of different things. You get to learn from the mistakes and experiences of others, and pick up probably some great exposure to to the market out there, and and, and maybe you know, see some things at the coal face that might help spark um, your own ideas. Uh, however, if you yeah. if you have an idea that you really feel strongly about, then you know I would say. I would get started sooner than later because time goes quickly and and you're only that young for so long and you're probably going to screw it up the first few times and and you need to get those learnings out the way asap. You know, if you think you have something and you're willing to to face that, then I would say pretty much get get going if you, if you can. Even better is to find a mentor, somebody older than you, that's what I did, who could help you kind of guide you through that through that period.
0: Yeah the biggest takeaway for that, I mean, g- get your learnings out as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah. I-, I think that's really, really good advice. And so, okay. So fast forward, you know, you've, you've had some successes. Uh, what, what went through your mind or what, what made you want to switch to the, the, the venture capital side of the game when you started 4DI? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I, I spent a couple of years, you know, company building and playing every role and being the CEO and, and doing all of that. And it was a fast growing startup and was doing well and you know i was like about 23 and i was doing well and that started to to kind of yeah we got some press exposure and so on it started to draw other young people out of the out of the woodwork started coming to see me and chat about their own ideas and you know looking at at funding options and uh yeah so my partner and i started just basically in the early 2000s or early to mid 2000s angel investing a little bit of our own money but this was before i mean we'd never i don't even know if the term angel existing even existed back then this is before social media or anything like that before you know common blogs about vc so we knew nothing we were just kind of making it up as we went but the idea was that if we had kind of managed to build a successful tech business uh, an online business ourselves in this environment, well surely we could help others benefit from those experiences. Um, So we started investing a little bit of our own money um, and almost immediately started, you know, gaining some pretty tough learnings. Um, You know, one of which being that as soon as you start to angel invest something, you're actually just buying yourself the obligation for the next check. Because the company gets up and going and then <laughs> it keeps needing more and more oxygen to keep going. Um, and if you can't raise, you know, if you can't find somebody that's able to come in for that next round at a bigger, bigger ticket, you you actually got a problem on your hands. Um, and uh, that's when we realized that there was quite a lack in, in our local ecosystem in terms of like, proper sort of Silicon Valley style VC. And at the same time, my company had started to mature, and I realized that I wasn't really the kind of guy that liked to administrate. You know, I wasn't a corporate administrator or executive. I was a startup guy. You know, that's what I liked. I liked creating. Um, so we started to kind of cultivate a management team from from within in that company. At the same time as going a little bit deeper down this rabbit hole of. Of funding other young guys and other ideas, and around right about that time, we sort of mid two thousands, we did a couple of trips to Silicon Valley and, and took some of these young guys along as well with us, and and that's when we realized that the potential was really great in terms of the uh, the quality of the talent that we have here and the quality of the opportunities. It really was, you know, could match up with what we saw uh, in the U.S. But what was missing was that ecosystem and that culture that, that surrounded and cultivated that talent and turned it into something and was able to to finance it. So having seen that and, and the sort of similarities that exist between San Francisco and Cape Town, it, it was quite inspiring in terms of of us saying to ourselves, there, there's, there's a latent or nascent opportunity back home. We just need to try and help it come out. Um, and, and that really led to two ideas. One was we need to catalyze the environment, the, the ecosystem, and the culture. And in order to to help with that, we created a nonprofit profit uh, initiative called the Silicon Cape Initiative. And that was really designed to be a community movement to bring people together under the banner of this idea of creating a tech startup hub back home. And back then, that idea was pretty new, this idea of regional tech startup hubs, because Silicon Valley enjoyed a a big moat and uh, the kind of uh, tools and trends that would democratize that, that tech hub movement worldwide. We're only just beginning. Um, and then the second thing that we, that we decided to do was to look at taking the investing side more seriously. And uh, basically our initial uh, efforts at investing individually slowly morphed into this idea of creating an actual firm uh, in the mold of a, of a Silicon Valley early stage VC firm and, we drew a lot of learnings uh, from from that side. And eventually that led to the creation and launch of 40i's first fund in 2011.
0: It's good to hear some uh, some context on uh, the Silicon Cape initiative. Uh, Gu- Guillaume de Schmidt was one of our early guests uh, on the show w- w- way back a few, a few years ago. And so we kind of got to hear the, the story, uh, high-level story of how that came together. Um, right. From the capital side, I mean, can you going kind to of give us a, a broad view of, of venture capital in south africa i mean i i know that back in in 13 I, I saw that you said uh south africa's vc scene is is different than more mature markets because it's it's still very young but i mean how, how has your perspective on the scene changed since then
1: yeah i would say when we launched the silicon cape initiative in 2009 there was very very little to speak of almost none and uh When I made that comment in 2013 that things were starting to grow, but it was still very early. Fast forward to today, it's 2018, nearly 10 years later. A lot has changed. Uh, It has grown a lot. It is still young. It is still, relatively speaking, small. But it's evolved significantly and the rate of change has increased substantially. So previously, I could have probably counted potential investors on one hand. Now, you know, there's certainly double digits, there's certainly 20, 25 options floating around from coming from different avenues, depending on what you're looking for and what you're doing. That's quite a big gear shift. And and the cadence of deals has gone up significantly as well. I think for us, the biggest change that we've seen is with our first fund, which launched in 2011, we were pretty much the only investor in any of our deals. Whereas today, every single deal that we do is a syndicated deal. And we typically have two or three or maybe four other, other investors joining us uh, in every deal that we do. And that speaks significantly to the, to the change that's taken place. And it's really positive change. We see that as being just a great sign of of growth in the space. And almost every, you know, every week now we're seeing news of, of new venture funds and new investors of various types looking to establish themselves uh, locally quite a few US-based and other foreign investors as well getting active. So yeah, I'd say I'd say it's at, at the best stage it's ever been and, and growing quickly now.
0: And so, you know, I, I find in my interviews with uh, ecosystem leaders around the world that a lot of times there's a specific event that, that acts as a huge catalyst for uh, new funds being created. Like uh, in Estonia, the, the Skype acquisition was a massive, massive catalyst for the broader ecosystem. Uh, and I'd be curious to know when NASPERS liquidated their uh, Tencent stock, was that was that kind of like a, a watershed moment or like a, a catalyst moment for the ecosystem? Or was that just kind of an, an, another headline validating that the broader ecosystem was on, on, on the right track?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we've actually had any one catalyst, really. I think there's been more of a steady building over time, more like a snowball. And as, as it's grown, it's accelerated. I think events around the world very much impact the way people are thinking here. And so you're just seeing this great rise of things like FinTech and InsurTech all over the world. And you're seeing major banks getting into that space. You're seeing a lot of interest from formerly, you know, quite conservative players like, like corporations even. And uh, I I think that South Africans are, are taking notice and, yeah, we've, we've had a couple of different exits in the last couple of years that have that have been great headlines. But my feeling is that just every year there's been kind of a steady uh, steady progress, a steady step up in interest, and some new players kind of joining.
0: Yeah. So I, I noticed on, on your website that it, it says that you focus on Southern and uh, Eastern Africa. Yeah. What discrepancies in, in, in company valuations or multiples do you see between those two regions, if any?
1: Right, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, <laughs> so that pretty much depends on whether they're, you're looking at a space that has U.S. investors interested or not. There's almost two, two parallel streams. Uh, I find that, yeah, a lot of the U.S. investors uh, might have some kind of an impact angle or social angle or something like that, and uh, I've noticed uh, that um, – Often where you find the presence of U.S. investors, you find inflated valuations, slightly more U.S.-style valuations as opposed to uh, more local-style valuations, I guess. Normally speaking, I'd say valuations in, in South Africa and in East Africa are, are fairly sane still because there's not a big supply of capital. So in terms of the supply and demand of of available capital, it's very much uh, in the favor of the supply side. Um, for the most part, although that's starting to change. But um, it's not super competitive like it is in the US where I think pricing and terms get pushed up. But there are deals out there where uh, you know some US investors have gotten excited and, and maybe allowed things to, allow terms to loosen or valuations to get pushed up. And I'm seeing that that's mostly happening in Nigeria and in Kenya where uh, American investors seem to have decided are they kind of some of their favorite areas to invest. But it's not in every deal. It's not in every sector. It, it kind of depends again. Um, so that's why I said there's, in some ways, there's almost two streams, if you like, that are out there. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Uh, and so before we, we finish off with a quick fire round, one more question. I'm, I'm very curious to know the verticals that you invest in through 40i make a lot of sense for you know, where, where the Pan-African market is headed. But I'd, I'd be curious to hear about how you think about with your angel investor hat, constructing your portfolio?
1: Um, <laughs> I guess the answer is that I, I don't really think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, uh, angel activity for me has generally not been something that's necessarily entirely rational and logical. Um, it originally started just out of a desire to help with catalyzing things locally. Um, so when I saw Some young guys that were super early stage and just needed a start, um, you know, needed that first check to help them raise another bunch of checks from other angels. You know, I wanted to help, help out with that. Um, If, if it just happened to be at at a good time for me and, and I liked them, Uh, it wasn't always a good time. So I didn't do it with everything that I saw. It was just occasionally. Um, And then occasionally I would take trips to other markets as well and, and see something interesting there. And I wanted to learn more and kind of have a little bit of a, Just a toe in the water there, and and so I might make one or two investments there that would just connect me um, to those markets or two founders that I found interesting, um, just as a way to kind of keep my radar broad. But um, for the most part, I yeah, I'm not trying to be a runaway success angel investor at all. I'm very much focused on our funds, and and that's where I do my my serious investing. And I'm actually not really doing any more angel investing as, as our. VC business has grown. I'm, I'm, I'm invested myself in our funds, and, and I'm just focusing on that. But amazingly enough, I can say that on balance so far with my angel investing, I am up and not down, which I'm quite amazed <laughs> by. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's, that's, that's always good. But um, so what, t- tell, tell me a little bit about your, your trip to Singapore. I'm, I'm yeah, curious. Singapore
1: was really super interesting for me. I mean, what an amazing place, right? It's really like a tiny island in the middle of Southeast Asia. Uh, which is super developed, very wealthy, very sophisticated, and yet is surrounded by uh you know, hundreds of millions of people that are relatively poor and pretty unbanked, which actually reminded me so much of where I sit here in Cape Town in South Africa, where uh you know we have a sophisticated economy, quite a bit of wealth, you know if you came to Cape Town, it would feel like you 're in a European city yet. We're just a dot at the tip of the whole continent, but if you go north, there are literally hundreds of millions of people with not a lot of wealth, and that are that are generally unbanked and, and not insured, and so on. So, in many ways, strangely, there, there are a lot of parallels in terms of our our, our kind of context. Singapore, though, has a, a tremendous amount of capital concentrated on that on that small island. But their ecosystem is pretty young as well. Um, I was actually quite surprised. I met with some VCs there, met with some startups there. There There's some great quality startups, great quality founders. Um, But looking at valuations, ticket sizes, round sizes, the sizes of funds, actually weren't all that different to to what we're seeing here. Hmm. So uh, I think their ecosystem is fairly young still as well, but developing very quickly. And they they do have access to a, a big market, and they have a great domestic market to test ideas. But like us, the domestic market isn't that big. So they need to be able to reach out into other markets, other countries, neighboring countries, uh, and so on.
0: Yeah, I think Southeast Asia still has, uh, you know, it's the same problem Southeast Asia and Africa, where domestic markets typically, you know, even if you capture your home market, that might not be big enough uh, to to raise a big growth round. Exactly.
1: It definitely isn't. Uh, There's no doubt. But it's a great test market. I mean for instance you know I saw a company there that had started the year with 800 users and sitting now in October had 50,000 users that's that's pretty amazing all domestic and and they were capturing the attention of Chinese investors already and and, and once you ca- can capture the interest of Chinese investors there's significant capital available.
0: Awesome so Justin we're going to finish off with a quick fire round four questions up to 60 seconds per answer how does that sound? Okay. So let's say uh, it's my last night in Cape Town. Uh, my, my flight's tomorrow afternoon, and I came to you and said, Justin, what is the one thing that you recommend that I do in the city? And hmm. what, would it, what would that be?
1: Well, you, this is a city with a lot of options. <laughs> um, yeah, If it was summertime and the weather was great, I would, I would take a boat ride out, uh, out along the coastline, and go to Clifton and just see the city from the water, see the mountain ranges, see the sunset. It's just the most spectacular view and perspective that you can get on Cape Town. It's really beautiful.
0: What was your last public investment into a Cape Town startup, and why would you make it?
1: Um, Well, that's a good question. What was the last one that we that we announced <laughs> i think it was a follow-on round into sensor networks actually um yeah i think that's what it was so this is a company we invested in their in their first round and uh, it was a uh second time third time entrepreneur um a really great guy uh, building a very interesting business and he was gaining good traction Um, he raised a second round with some other new investors that, that we, that we know and that we like. And, uh, yeah, we just wanted to participate again.
0: Awesome. Outside of South Africa, where is your favorite place to visit on the continent?
1: On the continent? Well, that depends. Are, are you including the islands?
0: <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, I mean, Mauritius is, is definitely out there.
1: Right. So uh, <laughs> I did just visit Mauritius recently, actually, and that's a great place to visit. Um, I think, uh, wow, I mean, there's so many great places. You know, If you want a bush experience, uh, if, you, if you like to go on safari, Kenya and Botswana are amazing places. Uh, if you want an, a tropical island experience, then Mauritius or the Seychelles have, have got to be right up there
0: yeah that's you know that that makes you think i need to do an episode live from a safari but final final question uh what is your favorite thing about living in cape town
1: well it's, it's hard to pick one uh you know cape town is is a great place it has an incredible amount of natural beauty and and huge variety so you know within uh An hour's drive or less, you have access to vineyards, beaches, mountains, uh, trails, mountain biking. There's so much that you can do. Um, So I guess what what I love most is just that variety, the outdoors culture, uh, all the different activities and things that people do. It's very much a a get outside and go running, go cycling kind of place, have sundowners on the speed side. Um, so there's that energy and that vibe that, uh, that I think is, is quite special here.
0: Awesome. Well, Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Great pleasure. Thanks for listening.
0: Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at Burke. that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world.